Hi, you're listening to the Invest Beta Podcast. I'm Vanch. And I'm Simon. And today we're going to be talking about business quality and what makes a strong business. We'll start off with the difference between free cash flow and EBITDA, followed by earnings, recurring revenue, customer acquisition cost, management compensation, and finally, what actually drives a business. So to start off with free cash flow and EBITDA. These are basically the two main metrics used to express earnings. EBITDA and free cash flow both are very different things, each with their own unique strengths and weaknesses, but a lot of the times they can be used for the same thing, a proxy for earnings. EBITDA stands for Earnings Before Interest, Tax, Depreciation, and Amortization, or EBITDA. It basically just tells you a company's earnings before taking into account any of those things. EBITDA is the best metric to use when comparing very different companies because Various industries and companies from different countries may face different taxation requirements, depreciation requirements, and other accounting wishwash that we don't really care about. All this means that EBITDA is a very good universal benchmark. The reason that we look at EBITDA instead of just generally net income is because for most companies that don't have a very heavy debt load, we don't want to penalize them for heavily reinvesting into their business. If we have two identical businesses, but one of them takes all of their extra profit and reinvests it for expansion, we shouldn't make that company worth less than the other one. That's what brings us to free cash flow. Free cash flow, or FCF, is the portion of a company's earnings that remains after everything that affects actual usable cash is taken into account. Things like depreciation wouldn't be taken into account because they're not an actual expense out of pocket, whereas something like an interest payment or tax payment or cost of goods sold would be. FCF works better for investors looking to understand the actual financial position of a company on its own merits. It's basically the cash flow that's available for the entire company before it's being divided up amongst various financial stakeholders like creditors and shareholders. The reason that we look at FCF is to actually see what the material change on the cash line item in the accounting books is. At the end of the day, EBITDA gives you a better idea about the capacity of a business to pay its interest, its debt, and to compare one business to another when they're not very similar. Free cash flow gives you a better metric to use when you're comparing very similar companies and you just want to see how much cash they're generating year over year. Okay, now I'm going to talk a little bit about earnings. The company's earnings are most important when it comes to its market valuation. Book value as opposed to market value, is the total liabilities deducted from the total assets on paper. A company's market value is usually much higher than its book value because investors expect future profits to increase. The best way to get an idea of where the company is headed is to see where the company is at, and that's why earning reports are so useful. In fact, one of the primary ratios used in investing is the price-to-earnings ratio, at least in getting a fundamental idea of how the company is valued. One interesting thing to keep in mind about, about PE ratios is that different industries have very different PE ratios. So with a regular retail clothing store, for instance, you would expect to see a PE ratio that is in the single digits for the most part. But in some industries such as tech with companies like Tesla, it's not uncommon to see companies well above 100 or in the case of Tesla in the thousands. This is because investors are predicting extensive future growth in earnings, and they're pricing that into the current market value. So let's talk about growth now. So growth is usually measured as a percentage increase or decrease over time. So for instance, you might have year over year growth or quarter over quarter growth. 
investors expect earnings to grow from one period to the next. And so this is why when earnings are released, the share prices of stocks will often fluctuate quite greatly because these earnings are looked upon to see not only how is the company doing right now, but how might the company do in the near and distant future. Aside from the actual value, the quality and the stability of earnings are also really important. Earnings quality is really categorized as either high quality or low quality. Some examples of high quality earnings are revenue and profit from common operations and sales, whereas low quality earnings are built on one-offs. So for instance, just kind of a one-off deal or a long-term asset liquidation. Those low quality earnings obviously wouldn't be particularly indicative of future company success. So they're considered lower quality. The other factor that's considered is the stability of earnings. So pretty much you're looking at how steadily does a company's earnings increase? So next, we're going to talk about recurring revenue. This is another interesting way of looking at the quality of a company's earnings. Recurring revenue is essentially the part of a company's earnings where you expect them to occur over and over and over again. So for instance, if you're running a small business, that would be your regular customers, the customers that you count on to come in after a certain period of time, every time, and they keep coming back. And these customers are obviously much more valuable than a one-off customer who will never return again, because those customers are more likely to be cyclical. But if you have recurring revenue, you can count on those customers to come in every day or every week or every month, depending on the product. And that just gives a lot more stability to the business. Just to give two examples of one business that's heavy on recurring revenue and one business that's much less dependent on recurring revenue is comparing a company like Netflix to a company that sells TVs. On the one hand with Netflix, you get a subscription and you keep paying for that subscription every month. And so the idea is you will keep paying and keep paying and keep paying. Your revenue recurs and recurs and recurs for Netflix and they can depend on that. To contrast, when you buy a TV, you only buy the TV once. The company can't depend on your business again until eventually years in the future, your TV potentially breaks and you come back for another TV. The TV business might be very profitable in a time where TV sales are booming. But when TV sales plummet or when the economy plummets, that business is at much higher risk than a business like Netflix, where we would just instinctively and automatically keep paying for it and keep paying it for it and keep paying for it. That brings us to the idea of customer accretion. When you look at these companies that do have a lot of one-off customers that just buy something and then they're done, generally a metric that matters a lot for investors in this business is customer acquisition cost. This is also important for subscription-based businesses, but especially for these one-off businesses. Because after you sell a TV to this person, they're no longer part of your total addressable market. So essentially, the more sales that you make, the smaller your overall market is becoming. Customer acquisition cost is again pretty self-explanatory. How much does it cost you as a business to get someone to buy your product? Most of the time, customer acquisition cost goes into marketing, advertising, and these days, social media and Google advertisements. A lot of tech companies get funding from VC firms in their early days by showing that they have a very low customer acquisition cost. Let's say that I start a business where I'm selling lamps online and it costs me $5 to acquire or to get a customer to buy my product, and the lamps sell for $30. Then between that, if I add, let's say, $5 cost per lamp for me to make the product, I'm making $20 profit for every single customer that I'm acquiring. If I can reduce my customer acquisition cost, I'm basically reducing my bottom line expenses, 
and that can increase my profit. So that's another way that businesses can look at increasing their overall earnings without actually looking to expand their business. That's another reason why a lot of tech companies have very high PE ratios. They have very low customer acquisition costs, meaning they have much higher profit margins. Now, the next thing that we're going to talk about is management and compensation. A business is really only as strong as its leadership, and different companies may find different forms of leadership more effective depending on the industry, goals, and work environment. Before investing in a business, you should always take the CEO as well as other executives into your decision-making process. No matter how profitable a company looks or how much potential its industry has, a weak leader means a weak company. The next thing to consider is employee executive compensation. When a company pays its employees well and offers many benefits, it's a good sign that it's doing well because it wouldn't be able to offer those benefits if the company wasn't doing well financially. Just because it can afford to do so doesn't mean it necessarily has to. You also don't want excessive compensation where employees are being paid way too much for the job that they're doing. The system works similarly for executives as it does for employees, except compensation is often contingent on them hitting a certain mark when it comes to EBITDA, the share price, free cash flow, or any number of other metrics. This is good for both the investors and the company because it boosts metrics for you as an investor as well as helping the company do well into the future. At the same time, it's important to ensure that these compensation packages for executives aren't outrageously large. You don't want way too much of the company's cash flow going to paying executives instead of actually reinvesting into the business. Suffice to say, incentive compensation plans can be pretty tricky, but investors want to ensure that executives as well as employees are motivated to push for higher revenues, higher profits, and overall a better business. And now I'm going to talk a little bit about business drivers. Factors that affect or drive a business's financial performance can be used to highlight specific areas of growth for a business or develop financial models to better predict future financial results. The definition is fairly loose, as core drivers can vary greatly from business to business. Some common examples include the number of employees, employee compensation, sales volume, industry demand, commodity rates, and tariffs or duties. Business drivers are not simply written out. There's no way to find out a business's exact business driver. It's kind of up to each investor to identify what is driving the business. So the best way for you to determine this is to go through company's financial statements and single out each piece. Many times, company financial statements will come up with a supplemental package that breaks down each element further. Search up what most directly affects every item and make a note of it. Eventually, you'll begin making these associations naturally and recognize them without thinking twice. So going back to my example of a lamp company, an example of some business drivers might be the price of the specific metal that I'm using, because that'll affect the cost of my making of each lamp. Metrics like these drive my overall business's profitability and sales, but a lot of investors don't actually look at this. So it's important to actually break down the core metrics that are driving each and every business. It's also important to consider both macro and micro drivers. So a macro driver are the drivers that affect entire industries or nations, while micro drivers are the things that are driving individual companies. So it's important to take into account both because a macro driver, while it affects the entire industry, will also impact each individual company. Whereas a micro driver might help you differentiate between two similar companies when you're picking which one you might want to invest in. All right. So 
Now we've covered free cash flow and EBITDA, earnings, recurring revenue, customer acquisition cost, management compensation, and business drivers. These are all a lot of major things that you should look for when looking for a quality business. But at the end of the day, it's your decision to make. So you should pick and choose out of these things what's important to you and your way of going about them when you're actually investing. Okay, I think that just about wraps up this episode. Uh, A huge thanks to you for giving this a listen and stay tuned every Friday for a new episode.